The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. Hey, it's Dudley. Good to be back with you. Looking forward to our, to our uh, study this time. Hey, uh, the featured resource we would like to recommend to you that you go online and get, uh, call the office and get it. But I did a series not too long ago on the prophets, some of the prophets of the in the Old Testament, and showed how the prophets are actually uh, preaching the gospel. Of course, the, the premise is that uh, when Jesus took the disciples on the Emmaus Road and he showed them that the whole Bible was about him, you just wonder, what, what did he say? What did he say Micah was saying? What did he say Jonah was saying? What did he say Isaiah was saying? What did he say Ezekiel so I went back and, and took some of those prophets and said, okay, here's, here's how the, the prophets preach the gospel. There, there are a lot of folk today who are trying to take isolated passages out of the prophets and show that, the you know, trying to predict some kind of Armageddon-type experience right now and are trying to find random fulfillments and political stuff and all of that. And, and I think that's a inaccurate way to handle the prophets. The, the the prophets are part of the story of redemption and they were offering a hope that's fulfilled only in Jesus. So you 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 really like it, I think. So order order that and get it. We are in the middle of, as I do this, we are, we are doing a leadership expedition. This is what we do every year with young men 16 to 25 and calling them up to a higher level of thinking, uh, choosing, leading. And so it's a wonderful time. Those of you who prayed for us, thank you. Thank you so much. Those of you who are investing with us, thank you. Thank you for your financial investment. Please, please invest as much as you can. We, uh, we will use it uh, faithfully and uh, in the next generation. So, uh, and, and those who, who lead the next generation. So uh, please give and thank you for giving. All right, I am going to talk to you now about what's going on as as I as I make this study this uh, this month. The Supreme Court of the United States has just handed down the decision uh, legalizing same-sex marriage, uh, identifying marriage uh, as including that, which was uh, a surprise, a big surprise to. To many, uh, obviously, and it has created all kinds of stir, and uh, some have celebrated, and some have mourned and are mourning. Uh, along with that was the uh, terrible slaughter in Charleston, South Carolina, of prejudice uh, going in and slaughtering Christians simply because they were they were black and and they were Christians. And so, thank God for the beautiful picture of the gospel and the response of those who who lost loved ones there. I, I, I wept as I heard forgiveness being offered and thanked God for that. But I've been trying to identify what uh, the emotions and what I feel, the angst that I feel out there among people who are talking with me or, or texting me or whatever, and what I feel myself, and I would I would have to say that 
I, I could use the word grief, but I want to talk about uh, good grief and a uh, cute title, good grief, but I, I want to talk about how Christians grieve that it, that's distinctive from how people with no hope grieve. Paul wrote to the Thessal Thessalonians and said to them, I'm writing to you because I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. He didn't say we wouldn't grieve. He just said we don't grieve like pagans. One of the marks of a Christian is he knows how to grieve. So I, I want to talk about uh, the kind of grief that we should be and can be experiencing here. And this is not a, a, script, uh, a, a message just based on just one text of Scripture uh, as much as it is a an overall view. But I do want to read a couple of texts and try to uh, tie them together for you. First of all, I want to read out of Galatians chapter 6, where Paul says this, uh, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And I read that uh, because I, I want to say that it should not surprise us that that which is sown in flesh is, going, is producing flesh. And it should not surprise us that we have not created a perfect nation simply because we uh, have a great nation that was based on some great principles. The other text I want to read for, for you and for it to guide our thinking is out of John chapter 18. And this is where Jesus is in front of Pilate right at the end where he is being questioned by Pilate. And so Pilate uh, says in verse 33, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it about me? Say it to you about me. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Now, what, that's a genitive source there. What it means is my kingdom was, did not originate in this world. It didn't mean it has nothing to do with this world. It has ever, a lot to do with this world, but it, ha, it did not come from this world. It didn't originate out of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Of the truth as opposed to the kingdom of the world. Now, uh, so, so let me kind of set the stage here and just start off with this question. Did, did we think that the American democracy that we've appreciated so was equivalent to the kingdom of God. Our history shows a people who, because of the light of the gospel, realized the dignity of all mankind and sought to produce structures, civil structures, to promote freedom from political oppression. But those structures, 
do not address the personal bondage to sin's power. Another way of saying it, politically liberated but personally enslaved people will eventually enact policies that promote their prejudices prejudices, and perversions. Structures built on the dignity of mankind, even with built-in checks and balances, which ignore the necessity of individual redemption, will finally fall under the weight of personal entitlement. I want to read that sentence again. I actually wrote it down. I guess you could tell I was reading it. But I, but I, I want to read it again. Structures built on the dignity of mankind, even with built-in checks and balances, which ignore the necessity of individual redemption, will finally fall under the weight of personal entitlement. In other words, as long as we are building nations and the center of our value is the dignity of man, and that's the highest point, then that nation is doomed to, to falter. There has to be something more. It is true that we as Americans gratefully have lived a long time in the light of the revelation of the Great Reformation. The darkness that had characterized the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, was greatly pushed back when Martin Luther, for instance, and, and others with him, saw the heavenly illumination that the just shall live by faith focusing on the personal experience with Jesus Christ and faith being the issue, not the authority of a structured religion. Personal, personal redemption, liberty, and eternal hope enabled Luther and the multitudes who also saw it to engage the church and the culture with liberating results. And though everybody, though all did not experience the personal redemption that Martin Luther promoted, that tremendous light of a city set on a hill illuminated a huge portion of the intellectual and political landscape, which eventually helped to produce the nation called the United States of America. Certainly, the grand experiment of democracy in the new world was one of the fruits of that illumination. But democracy by itself is not the kingdom of God. It focuses on the crown of God's creation, but it leaves Adam and Eve in the garden without the necessary partnership with God. They can't manage the garden from behind a bush. The view is limited, the wisdom is faulty, and the couple live with shameful fear. If we think that fallen humanity can create a structure that produces the highest level of human flourishing and still ignore God himself personally and ignore his presence and ignore the gospel which speaks of redemption and restoration and reconciliation. If we think we can do that and ignore that, we are deceived and we're mocking God. It can't happen.
if it could have happened, then God would have given us a structure for building nations rather than his son for redeeming sinners. So, I am saddened. I'm saddened because it seems so quickly we have slipped from the values that were produced by the illumination of the gospel on generations past. Our forebears saw something of the gospel. It affected the way they thought. It affected the way they saw the dignity of man. It it caused them to want to alleviate oppression. It caused them to want to set slaves free. It, It caused them to want to fight against injustice and to establish structures that would magnify justice for the purpose of releasing man in his liberties to 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 seek the best life and so so our nation has slipped quickly away from those values to valuing above everything else the individual's right for his own personal pleasure even if it is perverted and i have to admit that some of my grief is because I too have become an idolater. People fight when their idols are snatched from them, and when a when a government has taken the place of God in our lives in any way, when the government has taken on the role of provider, protector, pamperer. And when it when it disappoints, then we fight about it. When that's taken away, we, we try to defend it. You might remember when the Midianites, this is in the time of Judges back in the Old Testament, the Midianites were oppressing uh, Israel and because Israel had turned their back on God. And, but God in his mercy had, was going to restore them, so he called Gideon, and Gideon was a scared boy out there threshing wheat and God called him mighty man of valor and told him to go and uh, build an altar to God and tear down the the false gods of the Midianites and he did he went out and pushed Dagon over on his face and and destroyed the altar to, to the false gods and I'm telling you made the people the Midianites were so mad and they were going to kill Gideon and whatever and uh, and so it demonstrated that man when somebody messes with your idol with your god and you feel like you got to defend it and so we got a lot of that going on today of people trying to hold on to their idol they they thought the government was the one that was supposed to save them that was supposed to make them happy that was caused to give them flourish was caused to make them flourish was supposed to impart joy was supposed to give them security and now that it can't or want they are fighting to keep the idol a good thing can become an idol and it's a good thing to have a goal but when a goal becomes your idol it becomes a god it's not so good so that's a that's some of the grief that's being experienced and we need to check our idols but there's also another grief that's in the heart of christians and that is the grief that comes when our father's love is rejected. Our father created this universe and built his order into it, and his order is an expression of his love, just like 
creation is an expression of his love. Uh, the laws that God gave us is an expression of his grace because he's telling us how to make it work, uh, how to enjoy him to the fullest and enjoy the stuff that he created to the fullest and how to enjoy each other to the fullest. And when we, when we violate his order, we're actually rejecting his love. And, and it's, uh, if you see it happening, it breaks your heart. There are those who are, are saying that anybody who does not accept the popular, I don't know how popular, but the current vision of uh, same-sex marriage, anybody who would be against that would be a bigot, narrow-minded, homophobe, don't love people. If you really love God, you would, you would let people do what they want to do. I, I find that uh, s- such a strange explanation I, I I was thinking I was reading the, the story of the pro, what we call the prodigal son what what if you had been given the privilege to be like in the heavens looking down at that story it was, it was happening and you could see the whole story the end and the beginning and you were watching as if you were watching on a movie you were watching that boy go up to his father and say to his father, uh, "I want, I want my inheritance now." Even though it was dishonoring the fathers, basically saying, "Father, I, you don't matter. You can die, as far as I'm concerned. I want the inheritance, and give me what's mine. I want to do what I want to do my own thing, and I want, I want to go and make my own choices." Uh, would any sane person, if they had the opportunity, look down at that story and encourage that boy to do what he did? Would not every person with any kind of sense support the father there? Wouldn't they want to be saying, son, son, don't do that. You don't get it. You're misinterpreting the father. He, Yeah, he has, he has a house here and he has kind of rules that go by, but th- those boundaries are because he loves you and he, he wants your best and he's trying to protect you and and prepare you for the day when you can really handle an inheritance and, and when you can really be partners with him here. He, he, he's, wanting, he's wanting to bless you and, and you're turning your back on it. And son, there's a, there's a hog pen in your future. And uh, I, I, I don't encourage that. You, you're going to be wasting a lot of time at best and you could be destroying your own life. Uh, would it I guess here's the question. Would it be love to encourage that boy to go ahead and make a decision that you know is going to be destructive? Well, of course not. That's some kind of perverted love, isn't it? That that, that is elevating personal liberty beyond the realm of love and, and making a God out of it rather than making a blessing out of it. So there is a hog pen in the future for every person who neglects the Father's love. Whether that love is the giving of his son in salvation or it's his giving of the order of how life works, how your body works, how marriage works, how relationships work, how stewardship of money works, how uh, how business works, how government works. God has given 
uh, he's given his orders or his design as an act of love. Now, let's stay on the prodigal son for a minute because here's what here's what we know and here's what our grief must cause us to do. When, when we're watching people make choices that we cannot control, but we do not want to affirm them in terrible choices and choices that are going to, going to lead to destruction, what can we do? Well, we can know this, that in every prodigal, there's a deep-seated longing to be unconditionally loved by a father who only wants our best. See, that's presuppositional. I believe that. If you, if you have a, a biblical worldview, you, you believe that. You see, all men, all mankind was created by a father who wants us to be a son. So we were created as Adam, as sons of Adam to be a son of God, to be a partner with God, to be loved unconditionally by God who only wants our best, who, who created us for, for, for the good, who sustains us for our good, to, who redeems us for our good, who directs us for our good. We're created to, for desire. Every, every person wants to know a father like that. Even those who've had terrible fathers and and may even today hate their earthly father or hate the thought of their earthly father, down deep inside, there's a longing in every person to have a father who unconditionally loves them and who only wants their best. We were created to be partners with him. So this, this father that's in the prodigal son story, Everybody wants a father like that. A father who took the dishonor of his son getting his inheritance, took the dishonor of all the time his son was out there and people accusing him of not being a good father, of when he saw his son uh, coming home, he dishonored himself again by running toward the boy instead of waiting for the boy to come and gravel, grovel before him. And... I'm sure he astounded the neighbors when he took this disqualified boy, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, robe on him, and had a party in his honor. Who wouldn't want to know a father like that? You see, that's the father we have in the gospel. When you know Jesus, Jesus reveals to you a father who loves even greater than the story of the prodigal son. That's just a picture. And so we, we must know that the message we carry is the message every human being deep down inside wants to hear. We know they certainly need to hear it and they want to hear it. And when, and when they are loved, see you can't get loved without that love changing you. When they are loved by God, they are changed by God, and, and then, then they start seeing. They start seeing that his laws are not, not here to strip me of my liberties. They're here to protect my liberties. They're not here to 
to steal my joy. They're here to impart my uh, impart his joy. So, so, so our hope, our our hope is in a gospel that changes individuals, and those individuals are changed, and they think differently, and their minds are enlightened, and their understanding is uh, is, is broadened, and. Uh, they they began thinking in terms of blessing others instead of just doing what they want to do when they want to do it. They identify themselves as sons of God rather than based on their sexual desires or or any other thing. So so what what God has done is he is he has brought his kingdom to the earth, and it is this kingdom that we can be in and we are in if we're in Christ and this kingdom affects all other kingdoms all all other spheres all other it affects it affects the personal life it affects the family life it affects the corporate life it affects the governmental life it affects the everything church life it affects everything so so it's important for us to to glory in, to rejoice in the fact that we are citizens of that kingdom and in, instead of just grieving about the condition of the particular earthly kingdom we're in. When we are focused on being a part of that kingdom, then just as a byproduct, the, the earthly kingdom we're in gets the blessings. You know, it, it wasn't Martin Luther's stated strategy to uh, believe that truth about the just shall live by faith so that a nation could be created one day on the other side of the world that would be a good nation that did a lot of good. Uh, That wasn't his strategy. That just kind of happened. We don't find Paul in the New Testament with his team strategizing about how to how to best save or even change one of the nations where he went, whether it would be Asia Minor or Rome or Greece or wherever. But the truth is, because he belonged to a superior kingdom, a transcendent kingdom, and because he was preaching a message that in itself had more power than all the military might of all the kingdoms, and because he was energized by love, which is greater than hate and prejudice and every other kind of force in the world, because he was operating there, every nation that he touched was affected. And and so we yeah we can grieve the passing of an era but we should rejoice that we are part of a kingdom that will never die and it, it will never be toppled its head will never be toppled its its existence will never be annihilated uh, the picture of it uh, first came into focus when Daniel and some of the Hebrew children had been taken to Babylon in the early part of the captivity. And you remember the story, Daniel chapter 2, where the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream and 
uh, disturbed him. And so he called for the wise men of Babylon to come and he didn't want any playing around. And so he said, you tell me what the dream and the interpretation uh, really is all about and uh, you, you're okay. Otherwise, I'm going to cut your head off. So, I mean, he's seriously wanting to know what this is. Because he figured some of them would say, you tell us the dream and we'll we'll guess at the interpretation. So he wanted to give them both. And so uh, Daniel asked for some time and he and the other boys, Hananiah, Shari, uh, Mishael, well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, he, they all got together and prayed and asked God to tell them what was happening. So God gave Daniel the dream and the vision. And the dream was a statue, you, you remember, you know, and a head of gold and and the chest of uh, brass and then silver in the middle and then iron and clay at the at the bottom. And being interpreted, when Daniel interpreted, he said, these are the kingdoms of the earth. These are the successive kingdoms that will rise up. You know, right now you're here, you're the head of gold. And then after you would be the bronze one, which most people would say the the Medo-Persia uh, empire. And then after you, after that will come the next one, Greece. And, and then after that will come Rome. And then, and in those days, there will come a rock ro- rolling down the hill, or a stone that was not cut out by human hands, but it'll roll down the hill and it'll crash into that statue and it will destroy all of them. And it will establish an eternal kingdom that will never be destroyed. And he described that as the people of God. Well, it happened just like he said, those kingdoms did come into existence and Rome was in existence representing all the kingdoms of the world. And the stone cut out of the mountain without human hands, of course, is Jesus born of a virgin his kingdom coming not of the earth but from heaven came down and because of his death, burial, and resurrection he he destroyed all the kingdoms of the world. He, He established a kingdom that cannot be destroyed because death can't stop it and hatred can't stop it and military might is no match and a human intellect is no match and there there is nothing that can really stand up to it and it is destined to be here forever and it is uh, it is made up of Jesus the stone and his people and his people are those from both the Jewish line and the Gentile line who've come to faith in him and they are part of the kingdom of God. Now, you and I, if we are believers in Christ, are in that nation, and we must magnify that citizenship. And we must use the the weapons of that kingdom. We We have a message that when it is preached, the very presence of Jesus goes with it. And when it is practiced, the very presence of God is there for conviction. And so we we have an unshakable, undefeatable kingdom. So the earthly nations and cultures are affected 
by people more focused on honoring the king than trying to save the nation. Saving nations will be a byproduct. But if you don't have the kingdom of God as the center and of honoring that king as the focus, then trying to change nations is a futile thing. So, you say, well, Dudley, what, what do you say? What do you, what, do you, what do you want me to do? Well, here's what I suggest. Here's what I've been doing. First of all, check your idol chef. See if there's something that God has is exposing in us that's causing a sadness, a grief that is not good grief. That is, we uh, things are being snatched away from us that we had we had trusted as a source of our life, whether it's be a government or a liberty or a freedom or a privilege or a status or whatever it is. And uh, if you see it, acknowledge it before God and the light of his grace will diminish it and you can put your faith in in the Lord. The, the other thing, the second thing I'd say to do is refocus on the Father's love displayed in his design and direction. Rejoice that God has put order in your life. Re- rejoice that, that, that God has put boundaries in your life. Rejoice that he doesn't give you everything you want. Rejoice that in his design and in his directions. See his love there. Don't just define his love in terms of, oh, he loves me because he's helping me to feel good or he's making pleasure or he's making it more peaceful for me right now. You know, that God loves me. He's doing these nice things for me. Well, focus on the Father's love in, in some things other than your feelings. As I've said, the the design, the order, the the, the principles, the laws, the, the the directions that he gives, and then the third thing I'd say is, you need to feature a no holds barred gospel. I, I mean, it, it's time not to try to make it relevant. It, it just needs to be made known. Uh, if you don't know it, get to know the, 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 the reality of the whole, whole gospel. Get to know what the kerygma is. Feature it. Uh, don't be embarrassed to offer God's kingdom to, to all. Knowing this, everybody, everybody, whether they are, have not acknowledged it yet or not, everybody longs to be loved unconditionally by a father who only wants their best. That's our God. And he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Tell them about it. Demonstrate it to them. Apply it for them. Make it unapologetically the center of your life. Don't, 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 don't apologize to the skeptic who says you're, you're being too, too exclusive. Well, of course, he's, he's magnifying options. We're talking about solutions. And then the last thing I'd say is boldly live as a citizen of the final and most powerful and the most powerful kingdom there has ever been and shall ever be. Be proud in a good sense. Be proud of the fact that you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Don't, don't, don't bow to the the glories of 
of earthly nations. Yes, we live in them. Yes, we live according to their laws until the laws contradict the obvious laws of God. Yes, we're, we're, we appreciate the earthly laws of our civil structures. We do. We support it. And we, want, we want to have the best we can. But, but don't, don't bow before earthly kingdoms when in fact you are a citizen of a kingdom that will sh- shall last, outlast them all that has greater power than them all, that has greater authority than them all. So rejoice that you are a part of a kingdom that did not originate from this earth, and its goal is not just the dignity of man, but it is the glory of God. And when you live with that kind of focus, you'll be a good citizen. You'll be a good you'll be a good citizen of the church. You'll be a good citizen of the nation. You'll be a good citizen of the community. You you'll be a better dad. You'll be a better mom. You'll be a better everything, because what this gospel does, what this kingdom does, is it gets Adam and Eve and all of their race, or all all of those who believe, all of the new race. It gets them out from behind the bush. It covers their shame. It forgives their sin. It reestablishes them in the presence of God the Father who loves them unconditionally and wants their best. And they get to live and work in his presence, in his acceptance, empowered by him. So, there you go. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for that in any moment in history, regardless of how sad it might make us or how how much grief might be produced in us, that there is that deep-seated sense in us that we are part of a kingdom that cannot be be destroyed. It cannot be long ignored. It, it, It cannot be toppled. It cannot be forced under. And, and so give us, give us refocus so that our hope does not reside in what earthly kingdoms do but it resides in what you've already done what you've already finished and the kingdom that comes from it I pray that you would bless all of those who are are struggling with knowing how to live during these days and I pray for those a part of our kingdom in America and in other parts of the world who are being persecuted today because, simply because they're Christians, simply because they will not bow to other belief systems and to other cultures that demand an allegiance they can't give. I pray for your grace. I pray that that the blood of the martyrs will raise up armies of loving people who will chase hate out of the country and will establish your kingdom where wherever Christians go. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at 
www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S.com.